0: Good evening and welcome to Unbreak Your Health, the podcast program about the world of hope and health known as Complementary and Alternative Medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, the complete guide to Complementary and Alternative Therapies. And tonight our topic is the new biology. And our very special guest is research scientist, Dr. Bruce Lipton, an internationally recognized authority on bridging science and spirit. Dr. Lipton began his scientific career as a cell biologist, working at the University of Wisconsin's School of Medicine. His last stop in the conventional academic world was at Stanford University's School of Medicine, before his book, Biology of Belief, was published. Dr. Lipton produced studies on the cell membrane, which later revealed that the outer layer of the cell was the equivalent of a brain, which led to one of today's most important fields of study, the science of epigenetics. I'd like to begin by offering my personal thanks to Dr. Lipton for his book, because I read it right after my disappointing trip to the Mayo Clinic, and it was my first step down the path of complementary and alternative medicine, empowering me to find better health. Bruce, I'm one of those baby boomers who was taught that the nucleus of the cell was its brain, and I have to admit I was fascinated by your explanation of why it's really only the cell's reproductive material.
1: Well, it's it's interesting because, Alan, it's not just the baby boomers. It's like this is still the current belief system that's being taught in conventional textbooks. The nucleus with all the genes represents the control center of the cell, the equivalent of the brain. And, of course, that's even in current textbooks and it's totally incorrect.
0: That's like teaching him that the Earth is the center of the universe.
1: Well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, and, and it's just as problematic in the outcome, too, because it's all disempowering when you don't get the information correct. In absolute truth a cell is a miniature equivalent of a human which makes it very interesting because it reveals that underneath our skin is a vast civilization of 50 trillion citizens that make up our lives and, and it's always interesting because our perspective as normal individuals we look in the mirror we see an individual single person looking back and we say oh there's that one organism and the truth is that one organism is actually a community of 50 trillion cells so that when we say me or i you're really talking for 50 trillion cells
0: <laughs> which is a completely different perspective
1: Oh, absolutely, because then the fun part is if you really see them as people, little people, which they are, then you recognize also then the role of the mind is the equivalent of the central government. And the significance about that is the cells are very loyal citizens. And listen to this government and will actually commit their lives to whatever the government says. Even if that government says die, the cells will do that as well. So we have to see the relationship between the nature of our mind as a government and the 50 trillion cells as citizens in a community. And then also recognize the significance is that the health of the nation, or in this case, your body, the nation of 50 trillion cells, is uh, at risk at that point. And we always have a tendency to blame the cells when something goes wrong in my body, like cancer or disease, and you say, oh, the cells are are not really holding up that well. And it turns out the cells are just playing out the role that the government told them, and, and all of a sudden it says, Rather than really emphasizing the cells as the source of the problems, we also got we have to go back to a, the mind and realize that the mind is shaping the biology and behavior. And now the new science totally reveals that the mind even shapes genetic expression. So why that's totally relevant is that there's a new biology. Versus the old biology, I have to say that virtually everybody out in the audience has been programmed with the old biology with the belief that genes control life. The fact that we still read articles in the paper every day, a gene controls this and a gene controls that, is still feeding the belief that genes are like self-actualizing or intelligent little molecules that make decisions like, well, I think I'm going to give you cancer or I'm going to turn on and make heart disease or whatever it is. And then all of a sudden we start blaming the genes for what's happening in our biology, but you know that was the, the education we provided. We, we, we essentially told people they're victims, and we said that biologically by saying, look, the traits of your life, physical, behavioral, emotional, etc are linked to the genes. That's what we're saying. And then we tell people, well, you know, you didn't pick the genes you came with, and you can't change the genes you came with, and the genes control your life, and you realize that you become a victim of forces outside of your ability to control them leading us to not only be victims but, of course, search for rescuers who are going to come in and help us out of our victimhood. So this is what we programmed. This is actually what I was programming medical students with, a conventional belief about genes. But the new research, which ultimately led to a new science called epigenetic control, is profoundly different. Think about it this way. The old science, genetic control, literally means control by genes. The new science is amazing, and it's called epigenetic control. And epi is a prefix that means above. So when you say the word like epidermis, that means the layer above the dermis. Well, you say epigenetic control, literally you're saying control above the gene. And this is the new science that reveals a biological mechanism that takes the processing of the brain, the information from the brain that's sent to the cells, and this information can go into the nucleus of the cell and not only select the genes, but this information can even rewrite the activity of the genes and the expression of the genes. And why this becomes important is says the mind is shaping genetic expression. Uh, Here, uh, just a little interesting factoid. We taught and did teach, and people still hear, a gene is a blueprint and that your blueprints, uh, your gene blueprints shape the protein parts that make up your body. So your body is like a vehicle made out of protein parts, and the genes are the blueprints for these parts. And what I was teaching, what people still believe, is uh, you read the gene, that's what the part says. Whatever the gene says, that's what the result is. Now we have a, new, a completely new understanding, and it says that genes are blueprints, all right, but the mind is like a contractor. The mind can select a blueprint and then modify it. And here's an exciting factoid. I, I think it's amazing when you think about it that the mind can modify every gene in your body so it can use the same gene blueprint yet create over 30,000 different variations from the same blueprint. Relevance? What we <laughs> thought was concrete, you know, these are your genes, this is your life. It turns out absolutely untrue. Genes are potentials and the potentials are shaped by the mind, and the significance is if you change your mind, you change the potential, and then when all of a sudden you realize, well, what does this mean versus what we were teaching about genetic control? Genetic control, genes control you, you're the victim. Epigenetic control, your mind selects and modifies the genes, and therefore with the awareness that you can change your mind and change the readout of your genes, then rather than being a victim... The new science reveals that we're absolute masters of our genetic control. Of course, then there's a little bit of a problem because when you tell people, oh, wow, you're masters of genetic control, then you have to say, and there involves some responsibility (laughs) Mm -hmm. because – if you're not responsible for what you're doing in your life, then the irresponsibility can lead to uh, genetic disorders. Uh, for example, cancer. We've always said, oh, cancer is caused by a cancer gene. Well, you know they've looked for 40 years for a cancer gene. They haven't found a cancer gene, meaning a gene that if you have this gene, you have cancer. That's not true. They have genes that say you have increases your propensity to have a cancer. So they say, okay, so this is a cancer gene. They say, well, what does that mean? They say, well. 35, 40% of the people that have this gene get a cancer, and so this is a cancer gene. It's like, you know, you focus on the 35% that have the gene and then get the cancer. I think what's more important, what you're not even addressing in regard to medical research, is what about the 65% of the people that have the gene and don't have the cancer? And all of a sudden it says we have to shy away from the belief that if you possess a gene, that is your fate. We have to come into the new reality that you can modify every gene, and now they're finding that most cancers are actually modifications to the genetic readout that people have produced in their genes by the way they live their life and perceive their life.
0: Speaking of perception, your book describes beliefs uh, that we have as filters. You kind of compare them to colored sunglasses that change how we see the world around us. How important are our beliefs to our perceptions?
1: This is the whole crux of the thing is that a perception is your interpretation of the world. And so when you see the world, you don't just see a landscape. You look at a landscape and then you do an interpretation of that landscape. One person looks at it and says, oh, this is I thrive in this landscape. The other person looks at the same landscape because of the way they perceive the world and the things they were programmed to, to be afraid of, for example. Look at the same landscape and go, oh, my God, this is threatening. And therefore, guess what? Two different people, same exact landscape, totally two different biologies result from that, changing the genetics in each one to a different way. So basically it says you're not just a passive individual in this world you're an observer of this world and through your observations and your perceptions and interpretations of what you see you adjust your biology so your your life is really not so much based on the real world it's based on the world that you perceive because according if you're a cell in your body whatever the brain perceives that's the real world to those cells great example alan is uh uh, if we were standing uh, next to an anorexic person, we'd look at this anorexic person, we'd go, oh, my God, this person's you know skin and bones right near death. That's what we perceive. We ask the anorexic, what do you perceive when you look in the mirror? And they go, oh, God, when I look in the mirror, I see a, an overweight, bloated person. And why is this relevant? Because if that's what they perceive, that's what they believe they see, then their mind is going to cause their brain to release chemistry into the body to reduce the weight even further so that the visual image then locks into what they want to see. But if they have a distorted perception, a misperception, a misbelief, that that misperception can ultimately kill them. So you can see the power perception can actually enhance your life or it can kill you if you have misperceptions especially.
0: Listeners, if you're enjoying this free podcast program, you'll love my book. Unbreak Your Health, The Complete Guide to Complementary and Alternative Therapies. With over 300 listings in 138 different categories, it's the map to help you find your path to better health. And you can get it at your local bookstore or on Amazon.com. There really aren't any black boxes, as they say, in this process of how our perceptions control our genes, is there?
1: No, this is the exciting part because there's always a black box or it's a mystery. Yes, first you see something and then you get cancer. Well, I don't know what happened in between, but, you know, something happened and you got cancer. That in between, that something happening, the black box, has now been revealed to be a mechanism by which the cell membrane perceive the environment just like we do remember cells are miniature people and they have the equivalent of eyes ears and noses uh, on their cells and they read the environment and interpret it and then adjust their biology just like we do I mean think about it we walk out of a house and it's cold out you perceive cold through your skin and that signal causes you to heat up your body so you you get warmer to keep your body temperature warm but if you walk out of your house and it's hot out that's a different perception. The body says, oh, it's hot out. What will it do is now change the metabolism so you perspire and cool down. And then you realize what controlled your temperature. It wasn't genes. It wasn't even the brain per se except for the brain's interpretation of what the environment was. So basically, you walk out of your house and you adjust your biology by the perceptions of your environment. A cell lives in its own environment. And just like a human, reads what's going on and then adjusts its biology to the information that it sees in its own environment. And most of that controlling information is information released by the brain. So the function of the brain, simple function, read the environment, make a perception, and then send information to the cells to respond to what you just perceived. And, and then all of a sudden it starts to become, well, if you, if you change your perception, then that means the information you sent to yourself is totally different. And therefore, rather than being fixed by genes, you actually change your biology by the way you experience your life. Very interestingly, they recently were tracking the genetic readout of identical twins. The moment identical twins are born, uh, well, they have each twin has two sets of genes, one from the mother, one from the father. But at the moment of birth, identical twins are pretty much reading the same genes in each body. But then they looked at the gene readout after a year, two years, five years, ten years, and they were totally surprised that the gene readout in siblings changed dramatically between each of the siblings in response to
0: their experiences
1: of life. So basically it reveals this understanding of epigenetics. We change our biology based on our life experiences and our perceptions, And therefore, nothing is really fixed except more or less our perceptions. If you you have a fixed belief and you hold it your whole life, that's fixed more than the gene is fixed. And the perception will adjust the genes.
0: Speaking of adapting biology, Darwin's theory of random mutation really is giving way to a new perspective of adaptive mutation, isn't it?
1: This is really exciting because the conventional story of Darwinian theory, as you mentioned, is that genes accidentally mutate, and then you get this accidental organism that fits in the environment or doesn't fit. If the accident makes the organism survive better, then that genetic mutation is passed on the generations. It can lead to changes in the organization development of that individual species. And so basically that belief system says, well, how did we get here on this planet? And the answer is, well, through a bunch of, uh, it's like genetic dice. Organisms shake the dice every time they reproduce, and you get variations occasionally. And so then you say, well, then why are we here? And the only answer you can get from a theory based on that is, hey, there's no reason why we're here. It was just totally an accident. That's just the way the dice fell that day. And so we had bought a of belief that says, hey, there's no reason for us to be on this planet. We just got here by genetic accident.
0: The new science,
1: which says, no, Indeed, there are some random mutations, but they're not the important ones. There are new ones called adaptive mutations, meaning when an organism gets into an environment and it's stressful, the organism has an opportunity to change its genetics to resolve the stresses. So basically, it says organisms come into an environment and it change their genetics to make harmony and balance for themselves in the environment. So... It says that each organism that got here did so because in some way it was bringing balance and harmony to the environment.
0: And speaking of surviving, what would you like to tell us about your next book, Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future, and How to Get There from Here?
1: Well, Alan, I, I love this one because the biology of belief talks about how individual beliefs shape our individual lives. So biology of belief is like how your family beliefs that uh, can provide uh, cancer in a family that's not genetics or cardiovascular disease or diabetes, which are, again, not genetic, you know, organic problems with our biology. They're primarily reflections that... If we don't live in harmony with ourselves and our emotions and our community and the environment, that being out of harmony is what leads to the disease. So we talk about the influence of individuals. Spontaneous evolution expands that for a very important reason. It says, well, individual beliefs control the individual's life. There are things called cultural beliefs where a whole culture buys into a belief and then the whole culture collectively expresses a belief and, and it's in those beliefs when the whole culture does it that everyone says, oh, that's the way life is because everyone's doing it, so it must be a way of life and now we're beginning to find out, no, a culture is shaped by beliefs which are created and then propagated through the civilization so that it makes a whole be- a culture act like as one living organism they all agree on the same beliefs And so why is it relevant? Because just as much as a personal individual's belief could cause their particular illness or death and disease and how changing those beliefs can lead to health again, we're starting to recognize that Civilization is a living organism where what's evolving in front of our faces right now is not the human. What's evolving is the superorganism where the humans, you, me, and every listener out there, is a cell in a larger thing called humanity. So the organism that's evolving is humanity. We're ending a civilization which lived on a set of beliefs that are no longer supporting, in fact, the set of beliefs that we've been living on are really, again, responsible for the imminent extinction. And when we change the beliefs as a culture where the whole community changes their beliefs, then the whole living organism called humanity changes its organization and its function. So we're ending a period because we've run against the wall and what we continue to do will continue to drive us uh, into extinction. Unfortunately, if you don't have any idea what's happening, all you can see is, oh my God, it's ending! (laughs) And yet the reality is, if you understand the nature of evolution, yes, it is ending, but something newer bigger, brighter, is birthing itself right now. So we're in a state of transition, leaving an old belief reality behind, entering into a new belief reality, which is in very much supported by your book, Alan, in a sense that one of the important differences of the old and the new is the old belief you're a victim of your biology. The new belief says you can take a proactive stand and create new health and new life and new community, and therefore, rather than being victims, we learn in the new version of civilization that we're creative co-participants in creating our world, which then gives us some responsibility where we can engage and change what we don't like in this world and create a better world. So if you see that we're going into a really good place, then these changes actually become welcome and exciting. And that's much better for your health, in fact, than to look out the window and be scared of what's going on because that fear is the driving force of the stress that is responsible for almost all the illness on this planet.
0: So the caterpillar may be dying, but the butterfly is about to be born.
1: That is the exciting part. And and you, me, the listeners on the program represent the equivalent of what you call those imaginal cells, the, the, the genetically identical cells to the caterpillar cells, but the imaginal cells see a different world. And when the imaginal cells take over, they create that new organization. So the caterpillar transforms into the butterfly. The existing civilization, the, the one that we're facing and ending up right now, is the equivalent of a caterpillar. And the new thought, the new ideas, the information about self-empowerment, taking care of your health and creating a world, will lead us into this much more exciting version of the butterfly character of our civilization.
0: Bruce, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me tonight about the biology of belief. Thank you very much. Anyone wanting to learn more about all of this should check out Bruce's website at www.brucelipton.com. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back next week with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon.